And you are listening to Pacific Street Blues here on 89.7. It's the river. With us this morning, we have a special opportunity to speak over the telephone with a guy named Bobby Whitlock. And uh, Mr. Whitlock, are you there? I am. How are you doing, Rick? Good, sir. Good. It's so great to have you on the phone. I really appreciate you taking time. Uh, we just heard the track Layla. And, of course, most people are going to associate you with that golden period, that probably top 10 rock and roll record of all time, Layla and other assorted love songs by the band yeah. Derek and the Dominoes. But you've got a much bigger history in your uh, musical career. It starts on Stax Records, right? So you grow up kind of in Memphis. and Yeah, uh, I, was bo- I was born in Memphis and raised in that whole area around there. You know. um, it's, it's, it's my home, you know, so it's my hometown. Okay. And uh, I still have a lot of good friends there. Well, like, so I had a chance, as you know, to see you, and I, I sat at the table next to your high school buddies and I think your uncle. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you, you was with my buddy Hal, Hal Lansky. Hal Lansky, yeah. And and yeah. so how did you get associated with Stax Records? Of course, that's over on, I think, Macklemore Avenue. In- yeah, and I, it was one of those things that I just gravitated uh, toward that. Um, uh, uh, I used to do all their music, and I was. Uh, turns out, I was the first white artist signed to their Stax uh, hip label when they were going to try to, uh, you know, get in, in, uh, in competition with the, in line with the, the British invasion. And uh, they were doing some kind of a, a bubblegum thing with me. Uh, it was a little too poppy. And but I was out singing, uh, you know, all of the Stax catalog with my band. Uh, and and uh, all over the South, you know, and we played colleges and a bunch of honky tonks, and and we had uh, some regular stuff going on in Memphis, and uh, I don't know. I think it was Don Nix who was the first person that came in to uh, uh, he and I, to see my band, but he and I had been friends before, you know, like when during the the coffee house. Uh, folk music era, uh, era, you know, during the right early sixties, you know, and early and mid sixties. But I, I knew Don from that. But then uh, he brought Duck Dunn into into my into the picture uh, when I had my started doing uh, my uh, music with my rock and roll band. And really, what we were doing, we were doing things like "Give Me Some Love" and "Expressway to Your Heart." by the Soul Survivors, and then I was doing like pretty much the whole Stax catalog, you know, and then we did Sonny and uh, uh, some a few outside things like that, but they brought uh, Duck to, uh, and, and, and Duck and I became really good friends, and uh, so it was Duck and, and Don and myself, and then Steve Popper was introduced to him, and we became close. I taught his son how to swim, <laughs> but... Uh, 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 so it, it, it just seemed a natural place for me to be, and, and when I wasn't out playing at, at, at uh, like in Jackson, Mississippi, or someplace like that, you know, or Texarkana, uh, Texas, uh, Texas or, uh, and when we wasn't doing something like that, I was down at, at either Stacks or American or High uh, when uh, whenever the doors were open, so I could uh, just soak up what was going on, you know. And I was one of the privileged few that got to go in and out of stacks uh, at will. I, uh, that's where I met all the great, you know, staple singers, Albert King, you know, uh, uh, Isaac Hayes and, and, and David Porter, Homer Banks and Betty Crutcher, you know, and all these uh, wonderful people who became friends over the years. 
And, uh, but I got, uh, uh, I was like a sponge, you know, and uh, I soaked up more of uh, what you could possibly imagine. Uh, and I've been, that's part of my, my DNA now, you know. Right. Uh, and, and this R&B, and uh, I, I don't know, that was just, then it, it, I was there in, in the right place at the right time and prepared, you know. Well, I think you you say in your autobiography, uh, a rock and roll autobiography, Bobby Whitlock, that uh, your first kind of recording with Stax then was hand clapping on uh, I Thank You by Sam and Yeah, Dave. yeah, with, with Isaac uh, Hayes and Debbie Porter. We got, we got it really for Sam and Dave. And that was my introduction into the uh, world of uh, rhythm and blues and, and, and recording. But actually, when I was young, uh, uh, I was about 12 years old. My mother brought me over from Dias, Arkansas, to uh, be on Ted Mack's uh, Amateur Hour. They used to have Ted Mack's Amateur Hour in Memphis. And she brought me over, and uh, uh, Bill Black took me into his studio and recorded the Lord's Prayer for me to do on this uh, competition. I was like 12 years old. And uh, Dewey Phillips was always trying to, because he lived behind my Big Mama King, uh, and he was always saying, y'all need to get that boy to Nashville. But uh, we came back over to, to get, so I could do this Ted Max Amateur Hour. And uh, I, I recorded at Bill Black studio. That's the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And uh, so he, that was really my introduction into the, the world of recording was when Bill Black recorded the Lord's Prayer with me. I did, I won the the... the the thing, the con- the television thing. I won the contest, and I got a, a six-pack of chicken legs and a brownie instamatic. <laughs> Do you still have the camera? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I don't even know if it worked, but I know that we cooked those chicken legs that night. So, so from Stax Records, you yeah, you're uh, you know working with the band, and and you actually end up making a record with them. But as far as I can tell, that album has never been released. Is that accurate? No, it, it, it was a, 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 wasn't an album. It was just a few recordings that we made, and um, they released one that was Donna Washburn and, and Leon Russell wrote a song called Raspberry Rose. It was a real kind of a hippie, poppy thing with a sitar on it, and. Um, you know, Booker T and MGs playing pop music just <laughs> didn't quite make it. You know, yeah. Uh, we did a couple of soul things. It was pretty good. But when uh, to come time for me to leave and uh, and be with Delaney and Bonnie and them, uh, that all of that came to an end because it, it wasn't going anywhere. Right. And and when they came into the picture, you know, every my life started to to take form. You know. Uh, well, you tell the story in concert where they kind of invite you out to live in their home in California, and uh, in the in the book, you kind of indicate it was a bit chaotic or uh, yeah, well, dysfunctional. I, maybe I, I, I wound up sleeping on the couch, uh, Delaney and Bonnie's, and he had uh, there was Mama on his mama. Uh, Bonnie was pregnant with Becca, and Suzanne, the daughter, uh, Bonnie's daughter. Um, um, Bonnie and me and. Uh, 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 Preston, uh, he was living in the garage. That's Mamma's ex-husband. But those Mississippi people, I'm telling you right now, uh, it was it was something. It was a good start. It was a good opener. Uh, we we sang great together, Bonnie and Delaney and me. No, was, and, uh, sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was just seeing Coco come walking down the drive. Uh, yeah, I was like doing what Coco and I are doing right now, you know, going out acoustically. That's what Delaney and Bonnie and me started. That's so, how we got that band together. So when, just so the listeners know, when you say Coco, you're talking about your wife and your current musical yeah. partner, Coco Carmel. Yeah, correct. And, and so, so didn't, now I remember you had J.J. Kale living in the garage at one point in time. He was, no, I went and moved into the uh, uh, plantation when I left Delaney's house. Um, we band started coming together, and we uh, rehearsed at the plantation. And that's the house that Leon loves song about that was in the valley on, on the Tillaha. But uh, um, I, I'm, I'm, I got a room there. It was Jimmy Carstein, drummer upstairs, Chuck Blackwell, another drummer with Todd Mahal downstairs. Uh, um, let me see. Indian Ed Davis was uh, living in, in a room upstairs, another room upstairs. Is that Jesse Ed Davis? Uh, yeah, Jesse Ed. He, he, he played with Todd Mahal. And Taj and him come over there to rehearse there, and uh, I mean there, there was a host of people in and out of that, in in and out of that place. Uh, so this is like the late nineteen sixties, early nineteen seventies, or yeah, yeah, the late sixties. Okay, you know? and um, um, I, I lived there for until it was time for me to leave. And, <laughs> Well, so so Bonnie and Delaney was uh, kind of a powerhouse Southern band, and and from reading your book and reading Clapton's autobiography, uh, he was in awe of that band and the musicianship going on there. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he it was all he could do to keep up. Yeah, you know, but but because we and and that playing what we play and what what I do uh, and what was is more. Uh, like the domino thing, then uh, preform everything else, you know, uh, that Eric had been involved with the cream and everything. And that was just free, just freeform playing. Uh, there was some structure to, but still open doors, you know, to uh, what we were doing. And that's what, how the uh, Layla album is. It's, it's like, it's real basic, uh, you know. Uh, three chords with a turnaround and a, and a, 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 a solo, you know, but but real basic uh, writing, but it sounds more complex than it really is. Well, well, let's uh, let's take a look at the album uh, Layla, which we heard, of course, the the title track uh, when we started the interview. But there's another track, Keep On Growing. So you've got what nine now songwriting credits on that album? I think so. I'm not for sure. I haven't counted lately. But um, uh, well, Eric, um, I have credit, my name credited on Bell Bottom Blues finally after all these years. Well, you mentioned but, uh, that in, it, the, in the concert. Huh? You mentioned that in concert that you finally got the credit on that, which gave you more yeah, yeah. credits than he had. Clapton. I just, I just say, well, it was a clerical error. I never said anything about it. And, uh it wouldn't at the time. I did, <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, and, you know, it was just so much noise from coming from Bobby, you know, and, uh, and nobody paid me any mind, <laughs> and, and there everybody went on. But well, uh, Eric's management would not going to allow uh, me to have more writers' credits on, on that record than, than Eric. You see, right? But anyway, over the years, it's all worked out. Everything is fine, you know. And sure. from now on, it's going to read. You know, uh, Bob Bottom Blues written by Eric Patrick Clapton and Robert Stanley Whitlock. So, but so, Keep On Growing, was a, that came out of a jam. 
that we had done uh, before uh, Dwayne was even thought about. Uh, we, 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 we always used to open up everything with a jam, and it would go right into a song. Okay. And we did this great jam one time, and uh, Eric's playing through uh, the prototype of the Pig Nose Amp, which is a real small battery-powered amplifier. And uh, we did this real groovy jam, and Eric said, I'm going to put something else on that. And so then, and he wound up putting like four or five guitars on that. Four overdubs and, and, and one without listening to what he had done prior. And this is, it was pretty incredible when they pushed all the faders up and we could finally hear all those guitars at once. It was an amazing instrumental. So he just. And, uh, and, and Tom Dow said, We don't have room for uh, 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 an instrumental on this record. Because Layla album was slated to be a one disc record, you see. Okay. And. Uh, I uh, said, so give me 20 minutes. And I went out into the four-year criteria, and my relatively short and experienced life fell out on the paper, and the, the melody and all came to me right then and there. I went back in the studio, and Eric and Tom were in the control room waiting on me, and they had a boom mic with a big mic, boom stand with a big mic hanging down. I went out and started singing, and I stopped to hack with you the first verse, and I said, hey, man, come on out here. And let's do our Sam and Dave thing. And Eric came out, and we was holding my, the words uh, that I'd written off, on, off the floor. <laughs> uh, and that was it. We did it the one time, boom, that was it. Well, let's hear the track, uh, uh, Keep On Growing. This is from the album entitled Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs. With us on the radio today is Bobby Whitlock, uh, the songwriter of this song.
Music there from the album entitled Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs, a track entitled Bell Bottom Blues, written by Bobby Whitlock along with a guy named Eric Clapton. And so by this period, you've kind of got this band Derek and the Dominoes. Now, where does the name come from? There's like four or five stories about where Derek and the Dominoes comes from. But where do you remember the name originating? 
when we uh, uh, were forming uh, the Dominoes, um, we always used to call uh, uh, Eric would be like uh, uh, Delaney called him Enoch sometimes, you know. And went on a live thing, he called him Enoch Craptop. <laughs> and uh, I mean, he was Eric was really into his anonymity, and. Uh, um, we all had, they, they called me Strawberry Alarm Clock because I was always up early, ready to get going, you know, and banging on people's doors. Let's get moving. But uh, so we all had uh, kind of names for each other. And, uh, but when um, we, we were doing the uh, our first concert, and it was Dave Mason was in the band as well. He was supposed to have been in our band, but uh, he was that night. And, um, and one night at the Speakeasy, but uh, uh, we hadn't, it was just Eric Clapton and friends that had it built like that. And then uh, when we got there, he said, well, what, 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 we need a name, you know, we're sitting back you know, in backstage and uh, we were talking about uh, the dynamics uh, and maybe we'll, we'll call ourselves the dynamics and we kind of pretty much had agreed on that. And then uh, Tony Ashton, who was of Ashton Gardner and Dyke, uh, was MC in that night, I believe, and uh, he went out and, and introduced us uh, uh, as uh, Derek and the Dominoes, okay. and that was it. Wow. He so he did it, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he took it and ran with it. Now that's how I remember it. Okay, but uh, and, and I was there, you know, <laughs> and and I, all I know is I have this picture of all of us suddenly wearing, you know three-piece suit suits, and Carl, Jim, and me were going to be in one color suit, and Eric was going to be in another, you know. That was when I, well, oh, my God, Derek and the Dominoes? What's in that? What kind of name is that? Well, and then, uh, what are you talking about? And It's a name is the name, you know, the yeah. Beatles, huh? Yeah. I mean, who, who would have thought the Beatles, you know? <laughs> wow, you know. So you, so you mentioned... So go, go figure. Uh, you got... So you got Clapton in the band, Dwayne Almond's in the original version of the band, and then Dave Mason very briefly was a part of the band. Uh, that's that's three pretty heavy guitar players there, isn't it? Yeah, Dave wasn't. I mean, uh, Dwayne was never in our band. Oh, uh, we asked him to be in the band, but he uh, no, he he came after we did keep on growing. He entered the scene. We we went and heard him. Uh, uh, Almond Brothers were playing on a flatbed truck outside the convention center, and we took a break. After we had recorded Keep On Growing, and uh, went out and Tom Dow said, Hey, the Almond Brothers are in town. And so let's go take a break and go over there. We went over there and uh, sat on the ground and, and right in the very front, looking up at the stage and, and listened to the Almond Brothers. Well, when their set was over, we said, Come on over and, and hang out with us. And so we invited them back to uh, jam and hang out with us at the studio. And that's, that's what we did. And uh, that night, it was like Eric and Dwayne hit it off, and uh, Eric and I talked about, why don't we just see about getting him in the band, you know? But he wouldn't do it. Yeah. But that's that was when it came, it came together. And uh, uh, Dwayne had to go out and do a couple of dates with the, the, his brothers, and, and, and then he came back and started recording with us. Well, so Derek and the Dominoes includes yourself and Clapton and then uh, Jim Gordon and Carl Radel. Yeah, Carl Radel, Jim Gordon, and myself were the Dominoes, and Eric was Derek. Dwayne was a hired gun. 
Okay. You know, and so that's what he was. He was a hired gun, and uh, he, he he wasn't a domino. He was a, a brother. He was an almond brother. Okay. Well, so in your autobiography and in Clapton's, you both mentioned how great uh, of a player Jim Gordon was, and then incredible. And then you also talk about he kind of developed. Well, you know, he obviously develops what schizophrenia eventually. Yeah, but you know, all that dope and alcohol will, will do that to you. It'll get you to hearing voices. Yeah. Uh, you know, but this particular thing that he was hearing more, what he was hearing wasn't like your conscience, you know. Uh, he had talked to me about that before. And I said, no, that's, yeah, I said, everybody hears voices, you know, that, that, that small, still voice. He said, no, this is not stop small and still. Um, uh, yeah, he had problems and uh, uh, that people didn't weren't aware of, and uh, but the drugs and alcohol did not uh, help uh, his problems. It only exacerbated it. Yeah. So, so what was I mean? So you're playing with someone that you've identified and Clapton both identified as probably one of the great rock and roll drummers of all time. Absolutely. That's got to be such a. I always felt that the difference between a good band and a great band was a drummer. And and so if yeah. you, you've got a great drummer, you've got Carl there, you've got your playing, and the live album that came out, you didn't know it was coming out, but it kind of showed up one day. Uh, what a great band! It just uh, it's uh, takes my breath away sometimes listening to that record. How good it was! You guys were hot. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, um, like I said, Eric was in top form right then. That was a zenith. You know, he told me that he said that he said that he was like, "What am I going to do now? This is the epitome of my career." At that early age, you know, I didn't even know what that meant. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a great band, and uh, there were all kind of shittles and uh, coulds and all that. I hear it a lot. You know, you guys could have stayed together, should have, and all, but. No, there's a whole lot of dynamics involved. That band was the, the catalyst for Eric's solo career. That was his last step in, to stepping into the limelight of, of, of being a solo artist. So that was what the purpose of Derek and the Dominoes was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Carl Radle already had a, 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 another thing planned after we were uh, uh, recording it and we're trying to do a second album for the Dominoes. Uh, Carl already had something. Jim Gordon was already going to be in traffic. And that's where he went straight to traffic after the dominoes split up. I mean, so they already had an agenda, both yeah. of them. And, and uh, 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 and, and other uh, plans, you know, and didn't have anything to do with Eric and me. And so it was really, it was the band was Eric's band and my band. You know, right. we, we put it together. Well, at one but, point, uh, talk about bringing Jim Keltner into the band to replace Gordon. Well, no. Uh, originally, it was supposed to have been Keltner in the band in the first place. Okay. And then Jim Gordon stormed over. Keltner was uh, uh, tied up doing an album with Gabor Zabo for a month and couldn't be over there for a month. Because really, what we was doing was getting the band together for to do All Things Must Pass record for George. And so we were, we put the band together to do that. And so, the, But it started coming together as we were recording All Things Must Pass record, you know, the whole album. So, uh, so, so that's when the, that band was uh, formed during that the recording of All Things Must Pass. Well, let's let's hear this uh, track from from All Things Must Pass. Let it down, right? Oh yeah, that rocks. Well, yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> well, tell me what was I mean? What was the? Is there some good st- story or background on on the recording of that song? 
Um, well, George played it to us, and it was pretty much a ballad, and, and uh, uh, it was a little soft. And then I, I kind of went on and let it down. I said, "Kick that one," you know, <laughs> right there, kick it. And so uh, it, we all had we had free free reign in, during the recording of that record. Nobody told anybody what to play. Everybody's open to suggestion, and uh, I have always had my opinion, <laughs> my input, you know, or something. How about this? How about that? You know, <laughs> but uh, it's because I hear it. If I hadn't uh, done that, I wouldn't have. There wouldn't been no uh, uh, pump organ on there. You know, I played all the pump organ, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm let it down. I'm playing, uh, uh, you know, Hammond. And uh, our uh, electric piano, I played electric piano and uh, wah-wah. And all, the, all the background voices, that's Eric and me. So, I mean, we we just jumped in there and did what, what we felt we could hear. Uh, and uh, I did the tubular bells on there because uh, I, I, I could hear it. I could hear it. And on the song, All Things Must Pass, there's, there's a... Uh, you know that in the front. Yeah. When we were doing, when we were uh, in the control room after we had recorded uh, all things, the song "All Things Was Past," I did that whistle, and Phil Spector, who said, "Who's that?" And I was kind of like a kid in school. I raised my hand, you know, <laughs> this is me. <laughs> and he said, "Man, go out there and do that on the mic." And so I went out and, and I whistled that, that thing on the mic. I said, "You really need to get Pete Drake over here to do that on pedal steel." And it wasn't a week or, or no, hell no. It was only about three days later. Pete Drake was there for two days doing pedal steel and, and my whistle. You know, so. so what was it like working with Phil Spector, the Wall of Sound, and what he did the Let It Be album, and he did Stones records, yeah. and I, I, I loved I loved working with him. I, I, he stayed up in the control room where he belonged. And he was, it was a, he, he had everybody in stitches. He's a funny guy. He's not so funny now, but yeah. he was a funny dude. And uh, I liked the sound that we were, that it got, the wall of sound. That was, it was, that was what George wanted for that record. It suited it, I thought. Uh, but we had a wall of sound without anything special because, I mean, there was 14 musicians pretty much. Or at least a dozen played in a, you know, live, you know. So you have a big band already. You got your wall of sound. Well, uh, but I, I really enjoyed working with everybody there. So you were you were on the on the organ at that time, and then I want to say there were two other credible, incredible uh, keyboard players. Was it Nicky Hopkins was on that session? And- no, no, um, no, not, not Nicky. He wasn't on there. It was uh, uh, Billy Preston. And uh, then you had the two Garys, Brooker and uh, Wright. Gary Wright from they were the playing, yeah, yeah, playing the electric uh, uh, kind of electric keyboards and stuff, you know. And and Billy and and me were on like doing a grand piano. Well, I, when I would be on organ, he'd be on grand piano, and when I was on piano, he's on organ, you know, like that. Um, I, I did the uh, I played grand on Beware uh, of Darkness, and um, and that was my first time to ever record on a piano well well, let's hear it this is a song called let it down it's from the george harrison album entitled all things must pass and as you're about to hear it's uh, our guest today on the radio uh, bobby whitlock on the keyboard on the organs rather uh on this track
And you are listening to Pacific Street Blues here on 89.7 The River. Uh, Rick Lucia with you this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning right here. I just heard a track there. I'm sure everyone recognized a track entitled My Sweet Lord. And with us on the telephone today is Bobby Whitlock. Of course, Bobby Whitlock, founding member of uh, Bonnie and Delaney, founding member of Derek and the Dominoes, played with George Harrison. But you also played on uh, a John Lennon track. Is that did I read that correctly? No, I, I didn't play on John Lennon's record, but uh, that was Nicky Hopkins. You no, know, Nicky did all the Stone stuff. I'm not for sure who John had. Uh, well, well but, your uh, your autobiography says that you played on "Peace for Christmas" and then a uh, concert held at the Lyceum Ballroom or Lyceum, and that it sorry, and that it uh, is later came out as a live disc as a part of a reissue. They they put my name on there. They did, uh, but I wasn't there. I stayed oh. at home there. I wanted oh. to go out and and do this show with John Lennon and Yoko and everybody. And I, we were at Hurtwood Edge at Eric's house. I said, No, man, I'm not going to go. I'd had enough of that fiasco, you know, that yeah. was being on the road with Delaney and Bonnie. That was a circus, and I'd had enough of it. And I asked Eric, I said, Do you mind if I hang out here? And he said, No, man. So I stayed out at Hurtwood by myself. What they did, they put my name on there. That's Klaus Borman. Oh, this picture, and they put my name up rather than putting Klaus Foreman's name on it. It had nothing to do with me, but no, I was out when they were, and they went out crazy, and they came back crazier. <laughs> and so I, I was, I didn't miss being out that part of that at all. And and you talk um, about that in your book. I had forgotten all about that. Yeah, yeah. I, listen, I want to tell you, thank you very much for taking the time out in your life to read about mine. It's, it's a means a lot to me, you know. And uh, so when we we start on a different level, you know. Uh, uh, it's like you already know me. I mean, we've 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 met. We've we've been introduced by our, our mutual friend Hal Lansky. But uh, yeah, it's it's really cool uh, that you you took the time out to read my book. What? Um, thank you. I- one of the things I enjoyed about your book is that it was kind of a spontaneous event where, and, and we talked about this uh, when we weren't recording, but you're kind of responding to a question that someone had through social media, and you and Coco were talking about it, and you respond to that. And then out of these responses, uh, you create this book, which is fascinating. Yeah, it, it just happened. I don't know. I guess this uh, creative influence um, that whatever it is that, you know, is an operation to give us all these great ideas, and, you know, for songs, you know, buildings, cars, whatever there is, you know. Uh, I was working overtime in my life uh, for a while and uh, still does, you know, when I open myself up for that. Uh, and I have to because I can't do that. Right. Uh, I mean, I can't sit down. If if I wanted to write now, write a a chapter uh, about my life, I couldn't no more do it than than uh, uh, than you can think. Uh, No way I could do that. Uh, But what happens to me was uh, I had a cathartic experience, and it wasn't me that was doing the writing. I was just the uh, instrument that was holding the other instrument that was holding the pen. You know, uh, it was this thing was operating through as and for me, and it was pretty amazing. And when I didn't start it, and every night it would be like three or four o'clock in the morning, get up, and it wasn't me, and wake me out of my sleep, and I had to go downstairs, and it would start. I could feel it coming, like a, a, a tidal wave coming at me, and it would rush, and it 
so it's like a, 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 that happened when a, like a song falls out of you. Uh, it's the same thing. There's creative influences at work. And uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing uh, to be that uh, tool, you know, to be that instrument when, when this thing is flowing like a river. I mean, things are well, like what I was telling you about right and keep on growing. Uh, it really wasn't me. It was just all this stuff just fell out of me, you know. It just came out of me. It just uh, had to. It had nowhere else to go. So, so, so in the book, you kind of— you you. You talk a lot about the complicated relationship you had with your father, and it seems that those complications in our lives as children manifest or show up in art- artistic expression. Is is your music and and the desire to write is that is that little Bobby Whitlock trying to talk to the world? I mean, are you? No, I, I wouldn't say no to that, but uh, but I don't think about that. I know that my upbringing, my dad did say one thing. that He said, your trials and tribulations make you who you are. And uh, I, I knew right then and there that, you know, that was true. I knew that was true because I was, I've chopped 100 miles of cotton, you know, as a boy and, uh, and picked that very many. Um, uh, a young, young kid doesn't need to have that. You don't need to know yeah. about trials and tribulations. Yeah. You know, you know, that's, that's for when you're older, <laughs> you know, but not, not for when you're younger. But, uh, you know, I'm sure everything that's in our past, you know, our upbringing was a direct influence of, of who we are right now today. And, uh, I know uh, that I have a deep well of influence and, uh, it's gotten some incredible, uh, influence in it. Uh, everyone every, that I was ever around in my whole life, uh, uh, were just total characters, you know, like to be remembered, you know, Uncle Buddy. I mean, a bunch of people, uh, to be, to be remembered, uh, uh, and stories about them, you know, and, and I, and I, it seemed like I've kept all these stories and I have all these, Feelings and and I I know what hey the blues you gotta you gotta live them before you can sing them or play them and if you hadn't if you hadn't lived them you, you stay out of it you know you just singing somebody else's song and playing somebody else's lick you know yeah but uh, I, I have I know what the blues is about you know uh, but, but the whole life is that you know life is is all. For me, it is still all of these these stories. Uh, my life is uh, 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 there isn't uh, any def, def, definite uh, d- dividing uh, my uh, persona. There's no dividing me up. There's not a creative Bobby Whitlock, and then there's Bobby. Uh, well, today, honey, we'll have a so and so. No, so our life is music. My yeah. life is who I am. You know, Coco and I, we don't have a professional life. And then our home life, our life is uh, who we are, is our life. Well, so I noticed uh, you uh, kind of shifting gears just a little bit. You hung around a lot with Bobby Keys. And and Bobby kind of, well, he comes from uh, what, Waco? He was Buddy Holly's. No, he's, he's from Lubbock. Lubbock. And he was Buddy Holly's neighbor when he was growing up, if I remember from his autobiography. So. You got this kid that grows up with Buddy Holly. You have this other American kid that grows up in the Stax Records studios. 
and they both live this kind of enchanted life in England. And, and I have to think that the English guys were just enamored with your life experience growing up in Memphis, hearing all that great music, or for uh, Bobby Keys growing up. Did you guys... I don't tell me about that relationship. It had to be chaotic and beautiful at the same time. He well, was a wild well, man. with Bobby and me, it was it was great. We were always friends, but, uh, 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 even till he passed. You know, yeah. but uh, one time there was a uh, the only uh, gospel and uh, rock and roll and blues that there, real blues that there was in, in Great Britain was when it was sitting in Eric's living room, and that would be me. Uh, I was the only one who was authentic you know i was the first one to move over and as a matter of fact bobby was the second person to move over to england you know but he and i were great mates and we we hung out all the time and we were going always going out to dinner and but at really nice places you know i had my ferrari and all the business and he had his jag and we were rock star and you know and but we would always go out to eat it was good uh, <laughs> this in years, but we go to this great place called the Bailiwick. You know, sometimes it would be Ronnie Wood and his girlfriend. You know, Bobby and Judy and me and whoever I might be with. You know, and then there, maybe you know six or seven Donovan might be there. And, you know, and but and Bobby sometimes and we're, we're talking champagne. You know, you know full full meal. You know, five six course meals, a whole business. You know, chocolate filtero at the end, and then and, and at the end it's like. Uh, bill, Garcon, I'll take the bill, you know. And so, <laughs> Bobby get the bill, and uh, I said, well, "Won't you let me get take it this time?" He said, "No, I got it." I said, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he was expecting me to come back and say, "No, let me get it," yeah. you know. No, I said, "Okay." <laughs> well, damn, and he wouldn't. He he would get the bill, and it'll be some exorbitant something, you know. And then uh, we we go, and he'd be mad at me. You know, that made him mad at me. Well, we'd go back. It'd be like uh, two, three weeks. I wouldn't hear from him, you know. And, and then, he'd be, hey, B Dubs, and then he'd follow me. Hey, B Dubs, we want to go out dinner. We'll meet you down down at uh, at so and so's, you know. And, and I said, yeah. He said, well, I got a couple people coming. I said, that's great. I'll I'll see you there. Let me go there. And I said, but you're gonna have. To, I'm gonna have to get it this time. All right, Bobby. He said, okay. And so, <laughs> off we go. Here I go down to meet, have a have dinner with him, wherever the heck it was. And so it comes time for the uh, uh, tab, you know. Yeah. Come up. I said, I got it right here. All right. And guy hands it to me, and Bobby takes my hand in front of his friends. He said, No, I got it. I said, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're a stinker, man. <laughs> you get mad at me. <laughs> yeah, you get mad. Man, it, it never, ever worked. It never did work, you know. <laughs> this happened about a half a dozen times, you know. But, but we were always always good friends. But he he was, I mean, he would call me. I mean, had, had he not called me, uh, my participation in uh, exile would have never happened. I was at home in Ascot one time. He said, hey, phone rang. Hey, b Doves. Uh, he said, come on down here and hang out with us uh, at Nelcott. And uh, I said, where, where's the Nelcott? And he says, south of France. It was Stones. They're recording. I said, all right. Well, I didn't have anything to do, so I got up the next day and jumped on a plane and went down to the south of France and 
uh, he picked me up and we went back and uh, to Nelcott, the chateau that Stones had rented, and uh, they had a, a trailer and everything out there, you know, the recording unit. And, you know, of course, I, I already knew everybody, and they had it was they were just not getting it going, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, but I, I met Jimmy Miller, and, and we had, he had some, a lot of downtime, and he was the producer for the Rolling Stones. And uh, he and I started a conversation about uh, uh, him me signing with his production company. And we didn't get finished because they had to record. And I went back to, to uh, ask Scott a couple of days later. You know, we were just kicking around, hanging out, and doing, generally in the way. And so uh, I, I decided to go back home. I went back home. And it was a few months later. And following again, it was Bobby Keith. Hey, me does. He said, Come on down here at the studio. Jimmy wants to talk to you. I said, where are you? He said, at Olympic. He said, we're waiting. Keith's out. We're waiting on him. This is about midnight, you know? Yeah. I said, okay. Uh, and he said, Jimmy wants to finish his conversation. I said, all right. So I went down there and jumped in my car. Boom, I'm there in a matter of minutes, you know? And uh, um, went to in the control room. was sitting there talking to Jimmy Miller about, doing a deal, finishing the deal, and he had a manager named George Grice who was interested in managing me and stuff. I said, okay. And and that, that eventually did happen. Uh, well, but uh, when I got finished with my conversation, I said, well, we'll, we'll meet up later and finish it up. And, um, um, I was walking out through the uh, big studio, and Mick was standing there, and then Mick Taylor was out there, and uh, Charlie was uh hanging out on his drums and they were all waiting on Keith Richards to show up and he was out, you know, doing something, scoring something. I'm not for sure what he's up to. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I am for sure what he was up to. <laughs> that was a tough time but, for Keith, I think. He was up to no good, you know, but anyway, yeah. uh, 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 Mick stopped me. I was walking through. He said, hey, Bobby, he said, wasn't your, wasn't your uh, dad a, a preacher, a minister or, so, or something? I said, he was a Southern Baptist hell, fire and brimstone ba- uh, preacher. And he said, can you play me some kind of a little gospel feel on something? And there was a a, a, a Wurlitzer, an electric piano, just sitting in the middle of the floor. And I turned it on and uh, kicked it open the vibrato and, and the volume on it and just started jamming. And he said, that's all right, that's all right. Don't want to talk about Jesus, just want to see his face. And then he was doing all this scat singing and writing down stuff as it was going along. And I was just jamming. Yeah. And then uh, 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 Charlie fell in, and, and then uh, 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 Mick Taylor picked up the bass and started playing bass. And so we were just jamming 15, 20 minutes on it, and uh, I didn't know they were recording it. When Keith came in, I left, went on back home, you know. And the next thing you know, I found out about six months later, maybe seven, eight months later, from Jimmy in his manager George Grice's office on Beverly Boulevard, uh, they come in with the the record and playing it for George and all, all of us. It comes the end song and it was me, <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't credit me, so I, I didn't have anything to. Uh, I was real upset about it. He told me they just completely forgot because they didn't keep records, and I, I'm sure there was a lot more in the dynamics of it than that. <laughs> But I, I didn't. I didn't ever listen to the record. Then one time, a while back, a few years ago, somebody uh, uh, came on social media 
and it was talking about Keith Richards playing piano on Just Want to See His Face. And I went, hold on. Now, that's <laughs> me. That's, that's not no Keith Richards, man. And so I, I put it out there. You know, put the story out there. And so now it's really, uh, they're saying that it was me now. And, uh, but, but nobody's fessing up to anything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but it, it, that's all going to come back around. Well, yeah, well, you, ought, you ought to put that one up, man. That's a, that's a good song. Okay, let's play that from the album entitled Exile on Main Street. Let's hear the song uh, here entitled Just Want to See His Face, music from the Rolling Stones on which many consider to be the finest rock and roll album ever. And this features our guest Bobby Whitlock on it. Just Want to See His Face, the Rolling Stones.
And you're listening to Pacific Street Blues. Music there, a track I'm sure you recognized right away. It's originally written by Jimi Hendrix, but was covered by uh, Derek and the Dominoes back in the 1970s. And now appearing live, that version featured Bobby Whitlock, our guest today on the telephone, with his wife Coco Carmel. And they have uh, their own uh, solo careers. Or is, is that the right term when there's two of you, a solo career? Yeah, because um, we are one. You know, I look at us as one, Bobby and Coco, uh, like John and Yoko, Bobby and Coco, and Bobby, <laughs> like Marvin Gaye and Timmy Tyrell, Bobby Woodlock and Coco Carmel. You know? Okay, okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, we have we have a lot of fun, and uh, we've done two tours. Okay. Uh, the, the first one we went out was we call it Just Us Tour, and um, because it was just Coco and me. We don't have a, a drivers or a road crew or all of that. Didn't have a band. Well, we've had bands, you know, eleven piece band, you know, six piece band. But it always got back down to Bobby and Coco, you know, just us. And so we decided to call our first tour that we went out just us. And we did, uh, I think, eight or ten dates, you know, the Northeast and and BB Kings and places like that. So, and, uh, and so the second tour, the, when we first, you came to the first show of our second tour, which is called the Sparkly Shoes Tour. But it was basically the same thing again. But and this time we have a, a lot of people everywhere we go helping us out. You know, so right. well, yeah, Colin so, so Linden when I saw you wasn't so hard on us. Colin Linden was with you when uh, I saw you, which was terrific. What an incredible guitar player. And, um, he's, I, I didn't know, because I don't have television, so uh, I didn't know that he was a producer on a, a hit a series called Nashville and that he was one of the actors and uh, the oh. musical director of it. I didn't have a clue. But uh, he played with us again in Nashville right after uh, we did the Memphis show. Uh, he played with us at, at uh, the City Winery there. All the guitar players, and, that, and that's that's the thing. Uh, it's just Coco and me, and everywhere we go, we have a different guitar player. Colin just happened to uh, be uh, to come in for uh, Memphis starting out tour. Uh, he came in for the Memphis show uh, when we started the tour, and uh, then Nashville was the second one. So he he we decided to have him both of them. And Ricky Bird played with us. Uh, he was a, a guitar player with Joan Jett and the Blackhawks. Blackhearts, and uh, uh, he played with us at BB King's and at Daryl's house. Oh, so uh, just yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, and so everywhere we go, though, all the other places have different guitar players, you know, and uh, it's just great because they they all know these songs. You know, every <laughs> every guitar player in the world knows uh, uh, "Tell the Truth" and "Keep on Growing" and Layla and. Uh, 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 any day and got to get better in a little while. They know these songs, you know, and uh, uh, it's, it's just great for us. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, for us, it's, it's it's great. We just you know go go play and there's no rehearsal. Yeah. No, uh, no, with no rehearsal. When, when the when we all sit down to play, we all hear us every time. Uh, we hear us for the first time again, you know. It's it's really an, an amazing experience, you know, playing with somebody that you don't know, that you've never yeah. met. Who's coming now? They send or they send us a copy of what, you know them playing, you know, or we go online and listen to them and see you know see who it is and, and if that's going to work for what we're doing, you know. So we're not just like picking up people uh, nilly willy, you know. 
So, or willy nilly or nearly willy? <laughs> Who comes first, nearly or willy? It depends mm-hmm. on which end of the alphabet you're starting, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got to ask you this. I got to call you on one thing. I go to the show, and uh, that guy's. You're from Memphis, so you probably Chris, I think, is his name. And and yeah. uh, Hal describes it as the man cave, but it's so comfortable in there. And you guys did that kind of acoustic version of Layla, and at the end you go and you do the uh, the second half of the song, the piano break. And right. to me, that was like, oh, my God, I'm watching the guy play this song. I, it was a real high point for me. But in the book, you kind of said there's no way those two things should have ever been connected, the guitar pop song and the piano outro on Layla. No. So tell me about that, because to me that is – I. I love that piano break. I, so. Well, uh, it, there's a lot of dynamics that go into that whole thing with Jim uh, originally starting to write the song with uh, uh, his girlfriend, Rita Coolidge, you know, and then they tried to get me in on it. And this is at John Garfield's house out in Hollywood, up in Bonson Hills. Um, when I first heard it, and they were working on it, now Jim was at the piano. I don't know who was writing what. I didn't like it. I, I, I said, I told him in and there. I said, it's not rock and roll. I, you know, I don't know what you're doing or what you're calling it, but no, I don't want to be a part of it. And then when we had already recorded Layla, um, had gone back to you know the album and had finished, thought we were finished, and we went back to England, and um. Jim was still wanted trying to get uh, the piano part on, you know, and I said I just didn't hear it, so I said I don't, I don't hear it. It doesn't need to be on the record. It, it has nothing to do with this at all, and I don't hear it. And the band is, was Eric to my band, and so I had a voice in it. Yeah. And uh, but uh, uh, Eric said I'm staying out of it, <laughs> and uh, you know, and so uh, I, I, I said, and we were, we rehearsed it to to play it and everything. I, I, I even said it should go da 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 instead of da 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 da. I mean, I had my say so about it. I said, how the hell are we going to do it? And he said, well, you can play drums and I, and I'll get up and we'll trade. You know, <laughs> I was this is just crazy and nonsense. You know, and. Um, so, so did Gordon play uh, that? When it was, when I, I, I uh, originally, uh, it, it was uh, the Layla came out. The solo, the single was without a piano, and you could get the piano part uh, if you got the the album. And then uh, uh, a guy named uh, Ron Hausman uh, in, in uh, Nashville started playing the album. Cut over and over and over, kind of like Dewey Phillips did, you know, uh, with uh, Sorry, Mama, or whatever what song it was. Um, it's kind of the same thing, and the next thing you know, uh, everybody in the world is loving uh, the part that I, I, I hated, you know. <laughs> it didn't sound like rock and roll to me. It still doesn't sound right to me, even though I understand how they work together. Yeah. Um, but I believe that Jim went to the Eric's management, Robert Stigwood, and uh, he had a lot of sway with uh, us. Okay, boys, just go back and just put it on there, you know. Okay, well, let's just do it, you know. <laughs> People are footing the bill. Why not? You know, I got, you know, everything to gain, nothing to lose. Well, but get- as it turns out, you know, uh, uh, hey, I, I'm never right on everything, <laughs> but it's just my opinion, you know. 
Well, and I, I, I played on it anyway. You yeah. know, I played. They took my piano. It's called support piano on the thing, and they put mine over the top. If you know, Jim had no feel. But at the at the beginning of the da 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 that real straight part that's Jim yeah and then then I come in for the rest of the song okay well that was my next question is did you play on it or not because I always assumed it was you so now we yeah know. no it was Jim uh, initially Jim and then they put me back on on top of that so it was two pianos okay and if you see that if you see the thing about uh, um, Tom Dowd. Uh, uh, um, thing about music um he'll say when he's pushing up the, the track you know he said oh I forgot, well, I forgot all about that yeah they forgot about it that's me <laughs> <laughs> but it's track 14 <laughs> in case anybody's interested come in at 256 i believe <laughs> so so is are you so you've kind of been laying low a little bit i mean i was shocked when i got down to memphis and saw that you you were going to be playing live uh, is is the Whitlock and Carmel? Is that, are we going to see more touring from them in uh, the rest of the year? Yeah, 18? yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, we got a couple of dates in September. We're playing uh, the uh, University of Illinois in Springfield at this beautiful uh, Saginaw, I think it's close, right? Auditorium, and then we go down to um, uh, a place called Shank Hall in um, Minneapolis, and. Uh, um, just a couple of days, and then we're coming back home. Okay. But uh, yeah, we're going to be going out. Um, we've got some, we've got some other irons that are in the fire right now. Uh, a thing that that we recorded uh, back in September, last September, it's a, a solo record of mine. And um, so there's a lot going on in our world right now. Okay. Um, but when it's time to go out and play, we're definitely going to be there. Okay. So the website is Bobby Whitlock, just like it sounds, Wit, W-H-I-T, Lock, and A-N-D, Coco Carmel, C-A-R-M-E-L dot com. Bobby Whitlock and Coco Carmel dot com for listeners if they want additional information. The name of the autobiography, it's called A Rock and Roll Autobiography, Bobby Whitlock. You can get it on Amazon as well as, I'm sure, good um, bookstores throughout the country. And then uh, the latest record, though, is that the is that Carnival? Is that the latest? That's album? our latest, Bobby and Coco, and then uh, this uh, uh, solo thing just kind of came to, came to light, and uh, so we're just doing Coco. It was Coco's idea to do it, because she said, "You need to do it. It's time for you to do a solo record." So, and, um, is that out already? So we did. It's not out. It's oh. not finished yet. So oh, okay. It's, but it, it'll probably be out this next year or so. Okay. Okay. So on this last uh, track, then before we let you go, it's called "To Tell the Truth" or "Tell the Truth" rather, and uh, right. from Derek and the Dominoes. And and I got to say this before I let you off the line: uh, you wrote that song. Why does love? And I always get the title wrong. Why does love got to be so sad? Right. Bad. Yeah. And you tell a great story in the concert. So I, I'm hoping that it's the same every night, so you can remember the story you told. Because we didn't. I, I could tell you know, how that came about. Let me tell you about okay. that. And, and uh, uh, well, you can finish with both of them. You know, you put okay. both of them up there. But what is love? Eric and I used to. Uh, when I first went over there, um, uh, we didn't have a band together or anything like that. Uh, when we first started writing, it just started happening for us, real natural. And we did most of our writing in the, in the TV room out at Hurtwood Edge. I, I, I lived with Eric. 
for the better part of a year. I, I probably felt like 10 to him, but uh, I lived there at Hurtwood Edge, and uh, uh, we, became, uh, we became close friends and, and songwriting partners. You don't get any tighter than uh, closer than uh, uh, writing and playing with somebody. But um, we did most of our writing in the TV room. It's a little smallish room in this place. And uh, um, one day, he was in there and uh, messing around with his guitar, and I was sitting there with a pad and a pencil in my hand, and we were talking about our favorite things, you know, like cars and guitars and, and, and women, you know, girls. and um, <laughs> A girl over, over 20 was a woman to me then, you know. But, and uh, we were talking about guitars and cars and, and, and girls and rock and roll. You know, and there wasn't a woman within 40 miles of Hurtwood Edge. And, and he looked up at me, and he said, well, I don't know. He said, why has love got to be so sad anyway, Tommy? Because, you know, he was in, he struck on, on, on his best friend's wife, Patty, and uh, George's wife. And uh, I, I, said, I thought to myself, why has this got to be such a long song title? <laughs> but that's how that, that's really, that's how that song came together. Well, you said something in the concert about, Crawling, you know, you got to do it the Southern style. You're crawling across the floor and you're wailing. It was a great yeah, well, story. That's on, that's, on, that's on Bell Bottom Blues. Do you want to see me crawl across oh, there we the floor? Go. Do, you, do you want to hear me beg you to take me back? I'd gladly do it. <laughs> and then Eric comes in with, I don't want to fade away. You're right. In your heart, I want to stay. Yeah, uh, yeah. That uh, you got to be from Memphis to understand. Do you want to see me crawl across the floor? Do you, I mean, that's Otis down there in a lime green suit on his knees singing. Yep. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I gotta say, is that live version of that song? Why does love got to be so sad? For me, is the definitive Eric Clapton solo. He just yeah. is grows wings and flies on that baby. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Well, well. so um, uh, so we're going to wind up with Tell the Truth and uh, Why Does Love Got to Be So Sad. And uh, we very much appreciate your time. And Coco, uh, please tell her hello from Omaha. We hope you'll come see us. Well, I hope we do.
Singing about 